We go to work, and when we're off, we whine about our day. We sip our cares away, and you can do the same, cause you're in a safe place when you're whining with nurses. You are listening to Storygram Podcast Network. Hosted by Transistor.fm. Hey guys, Sarah here. Uh, before we get started with the show, I just want to let you know that uh, because of the pandemic that we're all currently living in, all of the episodes going forward um, were recorded with Zoom, so the quality of the sound is going to be different than what you normally expect. Also, we recorded these episodes ahead of time, so what you're hearing from us doesn't reflect what's currently going on in the world. Uh, who knows what's going on in the world by the time you hear these. Hopefully we're doing better and getting a grip on this crisis. Uh, anyway, hope you enjoy the show. Cheers. Hello. Welcome to Whining with Nurses. I'm Sarah, and I have my guest, Emily. Say hello, Emily. Hello. Emily is my niece, everyone. Um, she is uh, my older sister's oldest daughter, and just graduated from physical therapy school, from your physical therapy program. <laughs> Is that the right thing to say? Yeah, that's right. Either are right. Yay! Congratulations. Thank you. Before you say anything at all, <laughs> I'm just really proud of you and our whole family is, and we're really just, you know, excited and proud. And we have a doctor in the family and it's <laughs> Freaking awesome and yay, go Emily. Thank you guys. Couldn't have done it without you. You're right. No. Yeah. <laughs> I needed the support all the way from California. <laughs> well, you were getting it. I'm I was sending my Cali vibes. Yeah. I got them. So uh before Emily and I get into our discussion, what are you drinking over there, Emily? What did you open? Um, well, it's not yet open, but it is a hard cider, actually, not a wine. It's in a wine-shaped bottle, though. Um, no, I like it. <laughs> and it's called Cider Maker's Barrel. It's actually from a local um, orchard from my hometown. So they actually grow um, and make the cider there. They grow the apples and then make the cider. Um, so thought that'd be kind of cool to try out today. I've never had this one, so... Is it apple flavored or did they flavor it? Like, you know how sometimes they make a different fruit flavor. Oh, no, this one is apple. Um, I had the, I had the lit, like the description. I don't know where I put it, but it had like some spices in it and stuff. So hmm. it should be, should be pretty good. It says it's a wild yeast fermented hard cider. And where, what's the name of the? Old Hill Cidery. It is called a cidery. <laughs> yes. I said it and I wasn't sure. <laughs> and then you yeah. were good. <laughs> um, and then the it's actually, the apples are grown at Showalter's Apple Orchard, which has been around a lot longer. And then they um, decided to make hard cider. So they opened up Old Hill. There's Showalter's apples? Back? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So we grew up in Timberville. 
And Showalter's apple orchard is like a staple in that town. Like you go and get a bushel of apples or two or however many your family can handle (laughs) during the season. So they're making cider now. Yeah. Yeah. And they do like cider festivals each year now. And it's pretty cool. That is cool. When's the festival? I'm going to guess in the fall, but I don't know for sure. You're probably right. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I have something that's kind of a staple in our household and I already opened it. Um, It's this Vaso di Marina from Portalupi Winery and I'm drinking the rosé. So they usually have three wines on tap, tap, a white, a red, and rosé. We were craving the white today, but they were out of it probably because it's delicious. So rosé because it's another good wine to have on a hot day. And tomorrow we're going to go and fill our bottle up again because they have, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I don't think I've ever told you about it. So they have Mm -hmm. like jugs that look like milk jugs. Uh And each time you take it back to fill up, they put a sticker on it that says numbers one through six. And um, (laughs) your dog just got in the frame. Um, Just to explain to other people why I'm laughing. Hello. Hi, Cora. (laughs) Say hello to Auntie Sarah. (laughs) So when you get to the sixth one, it's just a penny to refill your bottle. And tomorrow they're doing double stickers. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So I wish wish places around here did that. I mean, they may and I may just not know. But I know if you go to Old Hill, you can take a growler and fill it. Oh, Um, yeah. mm -hmm. But I like the sticker. The sticker idea. Mm-hmm. It's funny because usually you take your bottle in and they just put a new sticker on the bottle that you have and trust that you've washed it out, you know, as well as you <laughs> want it to be. But now because of COVID, they have this other system set up where you call ahead or you email and you let them know what you want and what sticker number you're on. And then you return your bottles and they have a bag with your name on it and you just pick it up and go. So huh. the minimal interaction, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's smart. A lot of things have changed. Indeed. Um, So, Emily, uh, it's our listeners' first time meeting you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up? Tell us about your program. and Yeah. Yeah. So, I grew up, as we kind of mentioned, in Timberville, which is a small town in Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. So, I'm on the East Coast. Um, so basically lived there up until I went to grad school, um, moved out of the small Timberville area, lived in Harrisonburg for a while, loved that. Um, and then I finished undergrad and took a year off to work as a PT tech. Um, really enjoyed that. And that kind of helped solidify my plans of going to PT school. So once I got in, I moved to the local area for the school and started my three-year program. Cool. And it, the school you went to, it it was within Virginia too, right? Like it wasn't. Yeah. And then yeah, clinicals kind of all over the place though it seemed, right? Um, my clinicals luckily were at least within driving distance of where I was living for school. Mm-hmm. Um, but until my last one, so my last one, I moved back home to the valley and ended up getting a job at my last clinical um but 
other students have gone all over, like they do international studies um, where you can go do an eight, a four or an eight week clinical in like Italy or Romania or Belize. Um, and then there's a ton within the States. Like I had, I had friends that went to Colorado and a lot over in Virginia beach. Um, so they're all over. It's basically wherever you can get a contract set up. The school already had a lot set up, but if you wanted to pursue a new um, clinical contract, you just had to get the paperwork and try to get it done and set up in time. So now that we're that, like in nursing school, we would do classes alongside clinical. So you would have to be near the campus to do your classwork. And then, so all the clinicals were set up somewhere that's within driving distance. How does that work in PT school? Like, is it just set up differently or? Yeah, so we do, um, so our program is nine semesters total and three of those semesters are 12 week clinicals. So you do um, your, your spring or your fall and spring semester and then you do a summer clinical. And then second year you do Um, fall and spring, and then a summer clinical again. And then your last year, you just do a fall semester of classes and then end your spring semester as a clinical. Okay, so it's like you're going to class and then going clinical, it's one or the other. Yeah, yeah. And we do, um, like we have labs still and we do like simulations um, and we'll do kind of like observation days at like, an inpatient rehab or um, we did an adult day, like an adult day program. We went there. So we do like a couple days, but our main clinicals are in the summer or yeah, in the summer or spring semester. And it's a full 12 weeks at that one site. That's interesting. I kind of like that up because it seems more submersive when you're in the clinical site, you're focused on that. Is it? Yeah time or how many hours a week would you be in clinicals for in general? So we're technically supposed to be about 40 hours a week. So it's full time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we basically just go whenever our clinical instructors are working, um, but we're not required to do any more than 40. Okay. Wow. That's really different than nursing school, for example, you know, we yeah. have, um, classes and then one day of clinicals and for the first couple semesters it was just a morning clinical you would just go for half not even half the day for four or five hours and then and you'd kind of gather information and get together and talk about it and then back to class the same day sometimes so yeah that's kind of nice because you get like a quick reflection on what happened and you can like talk with your classmates because I know when we would come back from our long clinicals um we would all have so many stories to share and like talk about what we were able to apply, but what we've also learned that we hadn't learned in like our classwork yet. Um, but one thing that I am thankful for with the long clinicals, it kind of helps prepare like your endurance to being in the job setting because you're working full time and it's by the end, like at the very end of your last clinical, you're expected to be at entry level. So able to be an independent physical therapist. So you're doing all the documentation, you're seeing patients independently, but with supervision, but you're still expected to be able to 
come up with ideas and problem solve on the spot. And so you don't graduate and work alongside another physical therapist for the first several months. You you graduate and you're doing it and somebody's there to like lean on if you need it, but they're not doing it alongside you. Correct. Okay. Huh. That's really interesting. You know, I mean, there's a lot of different um, aspects of healthcare and you don't know what the education looks like for other people until you know. So it's yeah. interesting to hear how that, that was set up. Yeah. Um, well, I have a lot more questions uh, about physical therapy and what's been happening your last semester during the whole COVID <laughs> pandemic. Um, I'll just do a quick catch up. Uh, I don't know if I said this, a person will catch up on my own life because mm -hmm. that's very important. And I know you want to hear Yes, it. obviously. <laughs> we all want to know. Tell us about the life of Sarah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I might have mentioned this on the last episode, um, but I don't know if I've ever told you, but I have four jobs now. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. So, I know you had at least two. Yep. <laughs> I've had three, but one of them is a seasonal work. So that's the raft. It's only in the summer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I've got the hospital job here and mm -hmm. in California. And then I have the office job here in California. And I recently started working at a hospital there in Virginia so that I can <laughs> I'm in, see people, you know, see the family yeah. and spend more time on the East Coast. Um, so, yeah, it's crazy. I'm trying to figure out if I can actually do it. <laughs> yeah. Now do all the different, do all the different locations have a lot of different like protocols for COVID and how they're handling it? Uh, you know, they kind of do because everyone's been affected differently. So the hospital that I work at here in California has <clears throat> very few COVID patients. And so we're doing, um, you know, everyone who comes in still has to be screened every day, check your temperature, report yep. any symptoms. And then um, we, everybody wears a mask all the time to protect each other and the patients. Yeah. And we've, we had a no visitor policy with a few exceptions, meaning, you know, if someone was at end of life or, and I, I think, um, there might have been another exception or two, but I don't know exactly what they were. Anyway, that was going on for a long time. Now we're allowing visitors, one one visitor per patient from certain hours. Yeah. And so it feels weird to have everyone back, you know, have other people back in the hospital again. Anyway, that's how we've been handling it there. At the office, it's just you wear a mask and patients are spread out in the waiting room. We don't have as many people in the office because there's more televisits set up. Mm -hmm. and then at the hospital in Virginia that I'm working at, there have been more COVID patients on the unit that I'm working and they have it split into two separate sides of the unit. So there's the COVID land is what they call it. And then <laughs> the regular side. Regular land. <laughs> and so if you're in COVID land, all your patients are in COVID land that day and you don't go back and forth. And yeah. uh, anyway, the people in regular land are pretty much doing the same thing as everyone else. You're wearing a mask to protect each other and that's it. And they, yeah. as far as I know, they still have restrictions on visitors, but they might have started to relax that I haven't been there in about a month. So I'll find out this week when I go back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So one of the benefits of having a job in healthcare, you can kind of go all over, make it work for you. You know, I can be in two states and two coasts and still get enough work, which is nice. Yeah. That's kind of how it's been for us. Like, I mean, there's a lot of unfortunate parts of it, but we're all making it work um, in my job. And then with us finishing up school, like we were able to make it work. Um, what did happen your last school? Because you probably had just gotten started in your final semester and then the COVID pandemic happened. Yeah. Um, so I started my last semester, which was a clinical in a pediatric outpatient setting. Um, and I would say when it all started, I guess in March, um, I did, so I would do outpatient visits as well as early intervention, which is going to um, kids' homes. And so if there wasn't a whole lot of talk um, within the outpatient setting of people of like serious concerns, but when you'd start walking into people's homes, you would see like the bottles of hand sanitizer being set up and they would make sure you did it as soon as you walked in, which we would hand sanitize, but they had their own. And they said, do you mind doing it again? Or um, just, you could just tell people are starting to get worried. Um, and then we started to become more strict. If a kid even just had like cold symptoms, we would try to um, just reschedule because we did see some kids that were more medically fragile and we just didn't want to risk spreading it. Mm -hmm. um, and then the clinic I was at made the decision um, to go ahead and close the clinic. Um, and they were expecting to be closed about two weeks. The and clinic? What was that? The outpatient clinic that you were at? Yeah, yeah. And early intervention did the same thing. So that's more through the region, like the state region. Um, but they decided to end in-person visits for two weeks and then... Sorry if you hear my dog in the background. Okay. Um, they decided to end for those two weeks. And so I was kind of like, what do I do as a student? Like, is this okay that I'm missing two weeks? Am I going to have to make these two weeks up? Um, so it was a lot of uncertainties and just not really sure of what was going to happen if I was going to get to graduate um, because nobody, nobody else in my class had been pulled from their clinical yet. Oh, um, yeah, so this was my clinic's decision. So it only was affecting me at the time. Um, oh, I see. It was the clinic's decision, not the pro yeah. Your program. Yeah, yeah. And so then um, my, about five days or so after my clinic shut down, um, the school ended up pulling all students out of clinicals um, for the remainder of the for the remainder of the clinical. So that was four weeks um, that we had left in the clinical, which is kind of a lot. Like that's out of a 12 week clinical, you know, that's missing a third of our final time to become PTs with supervision. So your school decided to do that. And then did they, so you graduated obviously. So it worked out. What, what was the decision-making, you know? Yeah, so um, all of our professors, the president of our school and everyone, they ended up looking to the National PT Association to kind of guide and figure out whether we were allowed to graduate having missed 
um, four weeks. And so then we found out that the national um, requirements only require um, 30 total hours of clinical observation and our school builds in 36 hours. So luckily we had gotten 32 hours, so we were good. Um, but that wasn't the case for some other schools that didn't have that many hours built in. They did have to um, extend, like postpone graduation and are probably doing some clinicals now to make up for it. Oh, uh, that's a bummer. Yeah. And, and it even affects like the second, the first and second year students that are at, that were at my school because they couldn't go to their summer clinical um, so they're going to be behind one whole clinical and they, they will have to make that up. So they probably won't, um, graduate on time unless some things change and they're able to like build it in during the curriculum. Wow. Wow. So we kind of like, I mean, it really sucked having it happen right when you're about to graduate, but I think it's a lot worse for other students. Yeah. I think we got the good end of the deal. Totally. It's a good thing your school had extra requirements. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, man. And then so you have to take boards when you, you know, before graduation, after graduation, does it matter? Um, it, it technically doesn't matter. You are allowed to take them two weeks. It's like two or three weeks or so before you graduate. Um, and our school required us to pass like a practice exam in February. So we had studied so hard. Everyone had passed it. Everybody was signed up to take it in April and then it got canceled. <laughs> so it got canceled. And then, um, they started opening up like random sites and just, they opened slowly, only allowing a certain number of students to test at a time because they wanted to keep everyone distanced um mm-hmm. and areas like uh when i had nursing boards you could just have a bunch of people in a room and there was a someone proctoring the exam which i think is the funniest word yeah proctor something just because i grew up with a friend whose last name was proctor and so i always think of that person whenever i hear <laughs> anyway uh yeah so but there could be a bunch of people in there at the same time and just one person giving the exam and you're all yeah. crammed together, so they can't do that anymore. Nope. So everybody, so now all PT students across the country are trying to take exams when there's limited seats available. And so you just keep hitting refresh, waiting for a spot to open up. <laughs> and, um, the first spot I got was actually in Pittsburgh, which was four hours away. Um, uh, but I was excited to do it because it was going to be before graduation. Um, but I ended up finding a place closer in Maryland and decided to go with that because it was two hours closer and it gave me an extra week to study, you know. Um, Good call. Yeah. So about a week, week or so before that one, probably less than a week, um, that testing site actually closed because of COVID. And so I had to reschedule again. And luckily got one for um, that same weekend, but in a Virginia location and got it done. Oh, okay. I, okay. Yeah. I totally forgot that you were going to go to Maryland because I knew you ended up taking it in Virginia, but 
Anyway, that's so funny. I'm glad you found another spot. Me too. And so did you pass? I did pass. No. (laughs) That would have sucked if I didn't, and we were having this discussion. I know. (laughs) Tell us about all the stress that you have ahead of you right now, studying for boards a second time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We probably wouldn't be having this conversation, honestly, (laughs) because I would be so stressed because I was studying like hours and hours all day long. And it's just like, you have your practice books and you just flip through each page. You read it, you write it, you learn it. Hope you remember it. And if you don't, you redo it. (laughs) Read it, write it, learn it. All right, everyone write that down. How it happened. Yeah, that's all that's all you have to do in PT school. Read it, write it, learn it. <laughs> Redo it. When you didn't learn it the first semester and now they're applying it in the second semester and you really have to learn it then. <laughs> Man, so but there is one bummer in all this, even though you like got to finish your program on time, you passed your boards on the first try. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But we didn't get to have a graduation for you. <laughs> I know. It's a bummer because, I mean, I was really excited. And I was excited to see all my classmates again for one final time because we all kind of dispersed to go to clinical. And then usually you all get to come back together, finish your research project, present, have a party, do your pinning ceremony, your graduation ceremony before everybody goes off and does their PT thing um but we didn't get to have that and I haven't seen anybody since in person do you think you will get to yeah see I have I have two I have two um really really close friends that I made in PT school um but I'm also close to quite a few other ones and we all still talk and we have um like friends game night virtually um you haven't game night with someone else rude I know and I use the same (laughs) trivia questions that I use for family game night (laughs) sometimes you all are my test trial (laughs) oh yeah well so do you do categories with your friends then or no (laughs) I do because when I did the DPT trivia I was like I I can use this for my family too DPT, for anybody who doesn't know, is Doctor of Physical Therapy, Emily's credentials now. Um, Yeah, that was one of my favorite ones because it was body stuff and some of it I knew. Yeah. (laughs) Brian and I are real bad at trivia. (laughs) It's all right. I am too. Dad just knows a lot, so I'm thankful he's on my team. He does know a lot. He's killing us all for a while. (laughs) It's all dead. If If the dad wasn't there... We'd lose every time. (laughs) Oh, so anything else about your program? Oh, wait, so you have a job. Yeah. What's the job you have? Um, I am a pediatric physical therapist in an outpatient clinic, um, and I love it. So have you started, or are you starting soon, or what's the... I just finished my second week. Oh, really? Yep. And so I'm doing um, in-clinic sessions as well as telehealth sessions, which is very terrifying as a new grad to not be able to like use your hands and like touch a person. Cause like 
that's what we learned to do is like touch people and <laughs> feel things and see things like up close. And so it is challenging. Um, but I feel like in the end, it'll probably make me a little bit better at like observation and like communicating with the parents. Like, what are you seeing? Like, do you feel this? Do you think this is an issue? Because just because a kid can't do something doesn't always mean it's an issue. Like if they can, if they can still live their life, like it may not be worth trying to do anything about, but it's definitely been challenging. I I know nothing about pediatrics. I'm like, imagine something. I'm like, what (laughs) that might not affect them? Like, (laughs) yeah. Um, I don't know. I work a lot with kids um, with just general gross motor delays. So it may be somebody, a kid who's eight years old who can't run very well. And it's like, he can run, but he may not be able to keep up with his classmates, which could cause him to be a little self-conscious or um, just not really want to participate because he doesn't view himself as being able to or being very good at doing whatever running activity it is. And so even things like that can lead to like lifelong um, changes. Like maybe they then are less physically active because they're never very good at being active or don't feel like they're that great at being active. So sometimes you can kind of help them out with that and um, just help build their confidence with movement so that they're able to explore different movements and get stronger doing different things. Yeah. yeah. But just in the traditional. Yeah. Okay. But I also work with kids who have like some neurological disorders or like, like um, CP or spina bifida. Um, I have, I work um, with quite a few kids who are on the autism spectrum mm-hmm. and age varies. I have kids from, I think my youngest right now is four and my oldest is 15. So. Wow. That is a big age range. Yeah. Do you know that I used to work with kids on the autism spectrum when I was in college? One, now that you mentioned it, I kind of remember, but I would not have remembered. Yeah. We, um, my roommate and I, she was a psychology major and I was too, before I went to nursing school and there's, um, VB therapy. Oh my God. I'm not even going to remember what that stands for now. Something behavioral therapy, VB, uh, anyway, or ABA. <laughs> oh, ABA, um, is autism behavior analysis. Okay. That was part of it. ABA. I think that's what it stands for. <laughs> and so we, we worked with, um, there was one little boy that we both worked with and then we each did, you know, worked with other clients too. And, um, anyway, there was a little bit of motor skill stuff included with that, but a lot of it was just more with engagement and, um, communication and stuff. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I thought it was really, I thought it was really hard. <laughs> I liked it, but I thought it was super hard and it feels like the stakes are higher when they're children, mm-hmm. really little kids, because you want to like, if there's this pressure to set them up to have a good life, you know, yeah. things yeah. are bring on whatever you're doing. Do you feel that way? Yeah. 
Um, and it's, I also find it difficult when a kid's not very motivated and like, you're trying to explain like how, like this will help you, I promise. But it's just, it's hard. And it's also very exhausting <laughs> working with kids. Um, teachers feel in general, like, I swear you're going to want this. <laughs> no, it's like, and like, but I mean, you can't force them. So the trick I know for peds is like, if you can make it a game, you can get them to do a lot of things that aren't very fun. Because um, <laughs> PT doesn't always feel good. And it's not always the fun stuff. Like we're making them do the hard stuff, the things that they want to avoid. We're trying to make them do that so they can get better at doing that. And mm. um, so you, it really makes you be creative and just think on your feet because if a kid doesn't want to do something, a kid's not going to do something. <laughs> this, um, this isn't PT related, but autism related again. There was a boy that I used to work with and he was at the age where he should have, you know, uh, statistically been talking and yeah. talking and he really wasn't even making any sounds that sounded like communicate, like words that you would understand. And I worked with him for a couple months. And finally one night, I don't remember what it was, but we spilled something or we knocked something over. And I said, "Uh Oh, SpaghettiOs. Just, <laughs> I don't know if you remember those commercials, but the spaghetti mm-hmm. commercials and it was in my head. And he was so entertained by that, that he started repeating it. And it was a freaking breakthrough <laughs> on a roll. I went ahead and said, J E L L O. And he started repeating that. And his mom was like, Oh my God. So excited! <laughs> Isn't that awesome, though? Like, yeah. you got it. It had to have made you feel amazing. I was so happy. I'm like, oh my god! I just have to like be a little goofier, which yeah, totally more fun. Anyway, you know. Yeah, it's funny. Um, because like I'm currently living at home with my parents. Um, but got an apartment. I heard. Thanks. Um. So that makes telehealth a little bit trickier because there's three other kids in the house plus a household of dogs and they're all like worried, trying not to be too loud. And I was going to session and they said, we wish we were up there with you. You were having a lot more fun. So I was like, woo, woo, get it. And like we were having dance parties. It's like our little break and just being crazy and silly because that's what makes it fun. Uh, I want to observe a PT session. I can't because that's, you know, breaks HIPAA rules. Yeah. They're fun. My favorite, my favorite is building an obstacle course. (laughs) I just want to do them. I'm always like, do you want me to demonstrate this for you first? (laughs) (laughs) You can set up an obstacle course for the family when we go on our vacation this summer. Straight. I'll do it. I, I tried setting them up for um, the boys here at the house. <laughs> they <laughs> like them sometimes. Uh, well, it's it's been really interesting just hearing about your program and like, you know, how you're getting started in the, the world of PT. Is there anything else that you want to tell us that you feel like I didn't ask about or you think people should know? Um, it's, I guess it's, just definitely the most 
difficult thing I've done so far. <laughs> it's like, I knew it was going to be hard. And um, I guess the best semester I had was my first semester when we did our gross anatomy lab and did it was like a cadaver lab. Um, and I was like a new PT student. I was like all excited. And I was like, yeah, this is challenging, but, and I'm studying a lot, but I think I can do this. And like, you get through this first semester where you're just taking one class. <laughs> and then you have your two week break before you start your fall semester and you sign up for those classes and you realize you're taking five classes now and they're all way harder. And <laughs> then you just kind of realize like you wish you could go back to the first semester where things were easy in comparison. <laughs> <laughs> it was tough it was tough I bet it was they have to like reel you in they're like come on come on it's not going to be that bad psych get in here yeah they reel <laughs> you in and then weed you out and um I don't know but it's nice so with PT and I it may be this way with nursing but you stay with the same group of people for all your classes throughout all three years mm -hmm. um, so it's nice to just have the same people that you can rely on and they're all going through the same thing you're going through. They're all missing their families. They're all struggling just like you are. So it's helpful. That's cool. Um, well, so wrapping up, uh, we've been doing a thing where we complain, we're, we're whining about COVID. Uh, you can whine about anything COVID related that you want. It does not have to be important or even healthcare related. It can be like petty or dumb or whatever. Um, do you have a thing or do you want me to go first? Or um, I think COVID has shown me how much of an introvert I actually am. Oh, really? <laughs> what do you mean? I don't, I don't feel like I've struggled that much. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I literally just sit home and drink wine and like I had almost two months off. I mean, I was studying for boards, but two months off between when clinicals were canceled and starting my job. And I'm like, I'll sit home. Um, Business as usual. <laughs> is what? Business as usual. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, there were a lot of things that like we've talked about with school related that I missed out on and was kind of bummed about. And even just with my clinical ending, like I didn't get to say goodbye to all the kids. It was just kind of like, chop, you're done. Oh, uh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Luckily, I got to pick up some of those same kids and they're on my schedule now. So, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So that's one of the benefits or the pros, I guess. Um, but I mean, missing out on all of our casual family cookouts and spontaneous events that we always do. Um, they haven't been the same, which sucks. Um, currently missing out on my future sister-in-law's bachelorette party. They seem to be having a great time. Really? Yeah. Aww. But no, that was it was just, yeah, it was, it's like, it was a hard decision to make, but I think it was the right decision to make just to, because at the time when we had to commit, it was like when things were really high and like everything was increasing we weren't in phase what two anymore we were everything was shut down and so it's like 
I need to think about my family members and then also my future patients. Um, yeah. I, so you I knew I would have already started work and I couldn't, I just couldn't, couldn't put them at risk or the, just take the chance. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a very uh, responsible decision. Yeah. yeah. Not always the fun decision, but I felt it was a responsible one as well. Yeah, it is. Um, well, okay. At this, my wine is totally petty. So like, uh, and it goes along with a thing that I'm thankful for. So the parks were closed here in Sonoma County for a long time and they're open again. And so I'm really thankful that they've reopened and, you know, you can go out and hike and, um, get some exercise. That's not just walking around your own neighborhood. Cause where I live, it's pretty flat. And anyway, it's nice. You to need more of a challenge. Yeah. I mean, I just want to go see some scenery and hike yeah. up the hill, you know, yeah. and it's been great that the parks are open again, but my wine is that it's just like really awkward figuring out what to do when you pass people because, all right. So the, the guidelines are you need to remain six feet away from people. So I, I'm like, all right, if I'm passing you and we're about six feet away, do I need to put my mask on or not? And we're outside and it's just, we're passing each other for a second, but I keep doing it because I feel like it's the responsible thing to do and it's considerate and other people, some of them are doing it, not all of them. And it's just, I don't know. It's just awkward and weird and it's hot. I don't want to wear a mask outside. And I don't think that COVID is going to spread if you're, you know, six feet or more apart from someone else unless you're talking right in their face, if you're outside, you know? Yeah. So anyway, that's the line is I'm trying to figure out what do I do outdoors? Yeah. (laughs) When passing others. Yeah. I can understand that. I feel like here, um, people kind of judge you for wearing a mask, um, in my specific little town. Um, and like I was standing in line to get some ice cream, at this little shack and this guy was like, how are you going to eat ice cream with a mask on? And I'm like, I'm going to take it home and eat it there with my mask off. Just, I don't know. It's just like you get these little judgments and it's like, you don't even like, I'm just trying to protect those around me. You're welcome. It's not yourself. You're like, I'm doing this for you jerk. Yeah. Yeah. And like his wife jokingly said, tell him to mind his own business. I was like, really? He can. (laughs) <laughs> and my mom's just like she was there with me and she just kind of like made a face she's like I know, <laughs> I know him yeah she knows him <laughs> <laughs> but seriously it's, like it's the opposite here people look at you weird if you're not wearing a mask yeah. I came back from Virginia to California and I've gotten a little lax in Virginia because it seems like people judge you if you wear a mask there they and do here and I was like oh yeah I need to do this again I'm in the grocery store I definitely need to wear it the whole time I'm here maybe even from the time I get out of my car you know yeah. <sighs> anyway yeah and they different it, it really is different um and people are a little more paranoid here still uh you know we've had I think an increase of cases recently I don't know if it's because just we're testing more people or because they've relaxed restrictions or combination of things or whatever yeah but people are still really afraid to have gatherings and you know go certain places that are open now they're still really afraid and I I think there's 
some validity to it, but also maybe some of it that it's just because we're so used to having these restrictions in place for so long, you're, it feels weird. It's like going out into the world naked or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, but I do have one other thing. One thing that I'm grateful for besides just that the parks are open. I feel like, uh, since COVID, I've been more close with the family and there's some other factors with that too, but part of it is our family game night. You know, we, every Saturday we have our trivia or whatever game night that we do. And I don't get to see everybody's faces all the time. You know, there's certain family members I keep in touch with pretty regularly, but I don't get to see everyone's faces. And that's been so nice. Yeah. I've enjoyed seeing your face too. And just everyone and having everyone together once a week, you know, even though we're not, physically together it's nice to just catch up and not feel like every time we see each other we have to spill out six months of life as to what's been happening it's like all right this is what happened this week yeah totally I think we should keep it going even when we're not um restricted yeah we can do it some people in person and people who aren't there can join in on zoom yeah we did jump in and say hi and pretend like she's (laughs) gonna and go away yeah (laughs) (laughs) we also started we haven't been as regular um but we started doing some video chats and game nights with brandon's family too who live in texas Mm -hmm. um brandon yes that's my husband um so that's been kind of nice just keeping in touch with them a little bit more and i don't know and like i have video chats with my friends who um, are not in the area like from PT school and even some from not not from PT school where before I may have just like texted them but now we do a little video chat and it's just I don't know it's just nice I like those moments taking advantage of <laughs> yes um, speaking of which so we're going to wrap it up here, but if you guys want to tell us your COVID stories or any stories in general, write to us at www.nurses at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook at whining W nurses, W I N I N G W nurses, or on Instagram at whining with nurses. Uh, cheers, everyone. Cheers. short teasers are excerpts from comedian Aiden Park's book, The Art of Being Yay. Think self-empowerment with a comedic twist. These are tough times we're all going through. Who couldn't use a little mental health wellness and laughter? For more of The Art of Being Yay, visit AidenPark.com. That's A-I-D-A-N-P-A-R-K.com. Sponsored by The Laugh Cellar and Storygram Podcast Network. Reticular activating system will delete, distort, and generalize all incoming information to match the belief that you already hold. It is a scary, powerful part of your brain. And that is why it's so important to be really aware of your belief systems. Because if you are not aware of your belief systems, then the reticular activation system will work anyway. A lot of us go through life like we make up our minds about what we believe to be true and we just look for evidence of that being true to strengthen our pre-existing beliefs. Where actually many of us are not open to new incoming information. 
If you're not aware of this pattern, then you'll just go strengthening beliefs that you already hold. And this is where fake news comes from. Because people already have decided that they know something for sure. And so any information that comes in that is contrary to what they're already holding is considered fake news. Fake news.